Spencer, have you ever done that thing where you're riding your bike, racing against other people on the road, they don't know you're racing against them? Oh, yeah, that's always a nice move, especially when someone comes up on you in a climb and instantly you just go into the red and are drooling on your stem in front of them. That's what I was doing this weekend, and, you know, I'm a health fit, active person, and our sponsor this week, Health IQ, works with healthy, fit, active cyclists like me. In fact, they have a way for us to upload our race results and Strava info to get a great deal on life insurance. That's right, Fred. You just go to healthiq.com slash velonews and get a free quote, upload all your KOMs, or maybe just PRs in your case. I'm not sure if you're getting any KOMs. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that I can upload the results I get from racing random people on the road. Yeah, well, technology is ever-evolving, so hopefully soon enough that'll be possible. Health IQ. Thanks again. On with the show. Hello and welcome to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash here with Andy Hood. Andy, where are we right now? Ostersplief. Yeah. That's the only only, uh, Belgian words I know. We're in Ghent. We're in an Airbnb in a beautiful suburb of Ghent, very far away from all the bars, which is going to Save save us some money in the Velonews uh, expense account this year. It's a smart decision to do that. I think we're we're getting a lot of work done out here. It's it's really nice. It's idyllic and quiet out here in the suburbs. What are we here for? What are we What are we chatting about in this podcast? Well, we are here for Flanders Week. Uh, great opening weekend. First two of the big races that really make up this. What everyone really loves about the Northern Classics in the Monument Country up here. It's soggy. It's windy. It's rainy. The smell of manure is in the air. And uh, that makes this a very special edition of the Velo News Podcast. We're, we're not just recording from a basement in Boulder. We're actually here on the ground. We're talking to the riders in person. We're going to do a bit of post-E3 analysis to set the scene for Sunday's racing at Gent-Wevelgum. And then uh, we're going to dive a bit deeper into that racing uh, at Gent-Wevelgum before we draw some conclusions about what it all means moving forward for the Tour of Flanders. Uh, so let's let's kick it off with that E3 conversation, uh, just to sort of give you a, a basic overview. If you're following the Velonews podcast, you probably know what happened at E3, but Nikki Terpster took the win there. Pretty clear victory for Terpster, who broke away with well, something like 70K to go in that race. Yeah, it was a long breakaway. He and his teammate uh, Lampert pulled clear uh, after a big, big crash split the bunch. And those two rode it to about 25K to go, and then Terps just took over by himself, made it up the last climb, soloed it all the way home, solo victory, huge win for a quick step. Yeah, they, they really dominated the whole day. They had guys back in the second chasing group to sort of uh, dissuade anybody from putting in too much work because BMC was there. We saw BMC with some firepower in that group, but talking to those guys after the race, they felt like if they put in any work, the uh, the Philippe Gilbert and the and the Jdenek Stebar sitting behind them are going to take advantage of them in, in any potential sprints. So really, Quickstep just kind of dominated that whole day. You know, one guy who really didn't look very great in that race, Peter Sagan. I mean, what was with him in that race? Maybe the maybe the form is just it's just off. I don't really know what's going on with Peter Sagan. A lot of questions coming out of uh, Friday's E3 Harold Becca because he kind of fell off the pace pretty early, and uh, Daniel Oss was was with him. Didn't didn't really manage to uh, make much of an impact. Yeah, it was interesting watching how Bora came into the race. There's a lot of expectations that Daniel Ose was going to be the man really to step up for Sagan this year in the Classics. He held that role last year with Greg Van Avermaet at BMC. And it was funny. Suddenly, Sagan was attacking solo. He was pulling at the front. And then suddenly, he was like two groups behind that chase group that where uh, the quick step was driving the front of that first chase group. And at first, people thought, at least I thought, that Sagan had punctured because suddenly he was two groups behind and it just turned out that Sagan did not have a good day. I don't know if a part of it was just kind of maybe pulling up to save his strength going into the rest of the season, which into the rest of the classics, which is not really Sagan tactic. He doesn't have that day. And a lot of question marks coming out Friday. Those were answered Sunday again. Yeah, one one thing I think in any kind of conclusions that you're drawing from E3, there was a big crash in the middle of that race, which uh, played right into Quickstep's hands. And a lot of other riders, I think, had their race derailed by that. So it made it kind of hard to draw too many conclusions about anybody else, like BMC, for example, Greg Van Avermaet finishing third, which obviously that's a nice you know podium result, but some people expected better. But his, some of his teammates were kind of caught behind that crash. And so that's going to affect everybody who's not quick step, which was uh, they were all really well positioned uh, during that crash. So 
as we kind of saw on Sunday at Gent Wevelgum, conclusions that were drawn at E3 Harlbecka really maybe weren't uh, always accurate. A lot of people heading into Gent Wevelgum wondering, hey, what the heck's going on with Peter Sagan? That was uh, that was not the case so much anymore on Sunday evening in Wevelgum. But before we get too much into the men's race, let's talk a little bit about the women's race. Uh, Gent Wevelgum, which ended about two hours before the men's race on Sunday. Marta Bastianelli won that in a sprint, a little reduced sprint at the end there. It's a very interesting final 10K or so. Team Sunweb with a lot of riders coming into that finale. Corinne Rivera, the, the uh, sort of nominal sprinter for that team, but she went on the attack with, with uh, something like 6K to go and definitely put some pressure on the peloton, but she was reeled in. And then uh, Ellen Van Dyke uh, went on the attack. She too was reeled in and then it did end up uh, finishing in a sprint with uh, Marta Bastianelli taking the victory. Had a Julian Dor and uh, Lisa Klein taking third. But uh, I actually talked to Corinne Rivera after the race to answer some of those questions. You know, what was that attack all about? That's something that I think surprised a lot of people. And she sort of pointed out that, that she's been kind of coming back from, uh, from some illness since uh, Strada Bianca. And this race was a bit more of a tune-up for her to get ready for Flanders. And the team was all in for Van Dyke, who does like to go on those attacks out of a, out of a tired peloton. So that sort of explains the strategy there. And I think uh, they are feeling pretty confident ahead of uh, Flanders that, that uh, Rivera is going to be back in form. But Bastianelli taking a nice win today in that sprint. And, and a, a sprint victory has some nice names in Gent Wevelgem. So uh, Bastianelli, who's uh, riding for Ali Cipollini with... With a nice victory ahead of Julian DeWar, who is very speedy. So, interesting. Uh, a lot of those riders, though, who we're going to see next weekend in Flanders, all up there in Gent-Wevelgem, uh, which is the case on both the men's and the women's side. I think most of the riders we expected to be up there in, in the uh, Gent-Wevelgem finish were there. A lot of the names that uh, people thought would be favorites uh, ended up doing their jobs. And, of course, premier among them, the, the race winner, Peter Sagan, who a lot of questions flying about Peter Sagan two days ago. Not so much anymore. Sagan took a pretty... Pretty convincing sprint win against Wevelgum after 250k. The split on the Kemmelberg with about 35k to go. Sagan was like 23, 24 other riders. And uh, yeah, coming into that sprint, he just he went pretty early and he held off Elia Viviani and Arno Demar. Yeah, Sagan was back against Wevelgum after uh, kind of misfiring at, at E3 and Harrowbeck. But again, Sagan winning against Vagelbaum doesn't really tell me a whole bunch about where he's going, coming into the real big monuments with uh, Flanders and Roubaix on the horizon because Sagan uh, in Genvelgevam, he was following wheels all day. I mean, Quickstep did a great job sending up Peter Sagan for that win at Genvelgevam because he was, it was kind of a, a blocked race, I think, at Genvelgevam. They, um, not much really happened on the Plug Street or the passages over the Kemmelberg. Uh, the first half, one sport director I was talking to said the first half of the race was kind of slow by World Tour standards. So by the time the, the, the race hit the second half of the course, there wasn't really that much of uh, action and splits inside the main bunch. And I think Sagan, smartly, very astute, of course, he, even if he's a little bit off, he's still going to win you know, half the races he's in the mix for. And he just did a, a great sprint coming on the left side of the road, which was wide open. He had a clean shot to the line where I think DeMar, Viviani, and some of the other guys kind of got bunched up on that right side of that road. Yeah, let's actually, uh, we have some audio from, from Peter Sagan himself talking about the day, how he did, and uh, breaking things down. So let's just hear from, from Peter directly. And a lot of times happened to me, the Narelbeg, I was bad and Ghent, I was good. I don't watch these uh, critics or newspaper or some. Why I have to read it? If you are good, you are good. If you are bad, you always critics. Then uh, it's my life. It's not from journalist life. A bit of pressure lifted to take a big victory in Gwelvium and also coming up towards Flanders and Roubaix. Ah, oh, big pressure. Uh, I think Gent. It's very different race from the Flanders. It's more similar to Arelbeck, maybe, but not Gen. Gen could be hard race when it's really strong wind, bad weather, or something like that. But today was pretty, pretty. Not, I don't want to say easy, but like nicer year what I what I did here in Gen Velbeck game. Yeah, it's your third victory. Does this differentiate between the other two before? How is this one special? Oh, well, it was different because once I won it uh, like alone in breakaway, the last two kilometers after I won with, with a small group. And uh, this year it was sprint of, yeah, also not big group, but uh, a lot of sprinters was in. 
that's why I'm very happy. Like every victory was different. First of all, I want to say thank you to all the teammates and Team Borans Groe. And uh, yeah, it's very nice to win the race like this. And uh, for sure, it's much better to win than lose. <laughs> but for sure. So that was Peter Sagan himself, Gent Wevelgem winner. Peter Sagan, three-time Gent Wevelgem winner. Peter Sagan. Gregor Brown was there to uh, to catch that audio. What do you think of Sagan after the after the race today? Uh, because after E3, he was you know it was a tough day for him. But uh, did he seem to be uh, in good spirits after the Gent Wevelgem win? After after E3 in Harlbeck, he seemed to be in okay spirits too. I mean, I was just wondering about the 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 spirits of the team, basically what was going on because Sagan he just never seems to be under pressure. He always seems cool and. Uh, Unusually so, he seemed a bit happy and, and satisfied with his day in Harlbeck after that day when we saw him get dropped a bit on the Paderberg. And then today, maybe he showed why he was positive that day because he was he knew that he had the form and we saw that in Gent Wevelgem today. And it was a great sprint, you know, shooting up the left side and also going off the uh, coattails of the quick step. They did all the work for Viviani. They tried to set him up and there was Sagan shooting on the left side and poor Viviani getting locked in on the right side. But yeah. Peter Sagan. Yeah, that's sort of the way things have gone for Peter Sagan a lot in his career. I mean, he does get a lot of second places, but uh, he sure wins a lot of races. And, and yeah, getting boxed in is, is annoying, but we were talking a little bit earlier, earlier this afternoon, Gregor, getting boxed in is part of sprinting. And Peter Sagan does a pretty good job mm, of not mm. letting that happen to him a lot. Mm. You know, it's, it's a big we part of We were talking about that outside the Chinese restaurant we have dinner that today. Delicious, delicious Chinese <laughs> when restaurant. When in Belgium. That's right, when in Belgium. <laughs> Chinese food, I think that's the saying. Yeah, yeah. Viviani as part of sprinting. I mean, that's a, but Viviani will, will get, get those big victories coming up in the future. And Sagan, uh, yes, he's becoming on form. I mean, especially with Flanders and, and Roubaix coming up. So he, he knows something. And uh, he showed that today by just just blasting away his rivals in that in that Wevelgem final. Sure, you mentioned his mood. Um, it certainly seems like, you know, the first couple of years of his career, people just constantly asking Sagan, when are you going to win the big one? Hey, man, when are you going to win that yeah, monument? Yeah. And it certainly seems like nowadays that just kind of bounces off. It doesn't really seem to bug him too much. He seems to just kind of ride without... He just doesn't really show a lot of... Uh, mm. Even if he is pissed off on the inside, maybe he is, but he doesn't really seem to show it. He still hasn't won enough of the big monuments yet he's only won one so far as Flanders right. and he's come close in uh, in, in Milan San Remo and looking back uh, in his Palmars today I saw that his, his first big one day win was Gent Wevelgem in 2013 he had a couple one day wins before that but that was his big one day and then he won it again in 2016 and then we saw on Sunday it was his, it was his third time to win Gent Wevelgem which I think it tied it well I just wanted to bounce back to what you were saying Gregor just about what Sagan brings to the race these days. I mean, we've seen it the last couple of days just here at these races. I mean, the biggest crowds are always around the Sagan bus. At Harrowbeck on Friday again today, huge crowds are turning out for well, they Sagan. Bring, they bring music as well. They got the speaker outside the bus. Yeah, they got their Blink-182. <laughs> they have their uh, green uh, Green Day. That's a Daniel O's uh, uh, added flavor, I think, on that score on the music soundtrack. But I think we're seeing the emergence really of Sagan as this hyper personality in the yeah. sport. I mean, he's like the big guy now. You know, we have this void really at, in the classics level of uh, Bonin's retired, Conchalara's out of the game. Van Avermaet is probably on par with Sagan in terms of uh, racing ability, but Sagan just has that charisma that the sport yeah. so desperately needs. Not the international popularity. I and mean, we see that not just in Belgium, but everywhere you go uh, around the world with Peter Sagan racing, probably from Australia there at the start of the season where Andy was, up, up here in Belgium as, as well, where it's just cold, isn't it? It's cold. <laughs> it's nothing like probably Australia. Uh, yeah, he, he could use a smoke cannon or some confetti cannons as he stepped off the bus and found that music. You know, that'd be cool. But yeah, Sagan, and we love him, and he gives us he gives us lines in the in the press conferences, and even when he loses as well, he's he's always shooting him off, and we can all we can all just grab onto that. We all get a good laugh on it. It's like watching Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, you heard some of the lines from the in, in the audio, and it's it's the sort of thing where if Greg Wanamaker delivered those same lines, I don't think it would get the same response. But no. fans latch onto what Sagan says, kind of yeah. no matter no matter what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. So he yeah. definitely has that personality. But uh, Andy mentioned Daniel Ose bringing the music. What he hasn't really brought a whole lot of so far, at least in the first two of the big cobbled classics, has been some of that support that I think people were expecting from Daniel Ose. Hey, Ose is there. He's, he's working. He's working hard, but it just doesn't seem like he's come on form at the right time. Yeah, it's, it's kind of surprising, really, seeing how Bohr has been racing in these first couple of glimpses of the classics because the two emerging teams that are the strongest so far, just in terms of sheer numbers, is Quickstep 
dominating blanketing really Herobrek that crash had something to do with that and then BMC we've seen warm bodies there for Van Avermaet and again Sagan you know Ost was there a little bit again today but man he's not having a lot of friendly jerseys around him and that's what they're trying to bolster to give Sagan that support because imagine if Sagan was racing on a quick step and he had six guys around him he would have about four or five yeah. uh, classics on his uh, monuments on his palmatics. Well, thankfully he doesn't because, you know, it, it makes these races more interesting. If Sagan had that quick, sets, quick step support, then, you know, we, we would have seen, like, like Andy said, more monuments in his palmars. But, yeah, he just has that, that, that Flanders win so far from a couple of years back in 2016. So uh, he's going to be aiming for it. Uh, another Flanders win and then also Roubaix win, but I'm kind of getting the feeling he might not get him this year. Yeah, it's it's sort of funny. He comes out of uh, Gamwellgum and and obviously answers a lot of critics, and and uh, that was one of the things that brought up in the in the press conference. You're answering critics with a win like this, but you know Gamwellgum is not a great dress rehearsal for the Tour yeah, of Flanders. It's not E3. Expect more out of a three-time world champion. Well, that's also true when yeah. you go ahead and when you take those rainbow jersey three times. But yeah, with with Gamwellgum, I mean, it wasn't the hardest race and. Mm. As Peter Sagan yeah, said very clearly, said. it was kind of easy as this as level comes go. This edition yeah. wasn't the hardest edition that he was. I think he was saying. And then let's not gloss over the Bora Hans Groh MVP though the, for for Peter Sagan. You guys know who it is, right? Come on, Marcus Buchert. Yeah, he, he's, been, he's, been he's been having a good. He's been having a good couple Milan, days. Yeah, they're getting get Wevelgem. The guy's been and he's been around forever too. You know, Daniel Oss has popped up on the radar a little bit more recently with uh, Leaky Gas, who's Sagan old, old teammate there, Leaky Gas, and then. He was at BMC, and uh, I think Booker, what, came from uh, High Road back in the day, and he's been around for a while. Yeah, he definitely, uh, big engine, I mean, yeah. just kind of hitting on the front as, yeah. as much as he yeah. could, and it's, yeah, I, I, maybe that's the guy, maybe that's, maybe not Daniel Ose, or but, maybe both of them come on to four yeah. for Flanders, who knows? Yeah, but he needs he needs deeper support, I mean, besides uh, Bukert and uh, Oss, it's good you have a hard time naming the other the other teammates up there for Sagan. Right. Maybe uh, Benedetti, Cesar Benedetti, and Milano San Ramo. But after that, I don't know. Yeah, and you compare with Quickstep, not only is it easy to name them, but they're all in the top 10. I mean, <laughs> they just rattle off the yeah. names of the top 10. It's Quickstep, Quickstep, Quickstep. Mm. Of course, this race, uh, Quickstep didn't win, but they had a really strong race. And let's actually talk about Quickstep a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we saw Elia Viviani get a little boxed in in that finishing spread. They worked so hard for Viviani. Jill Bear was there just drilling it. Uh, Stebar at the front just drilling it. And uh, he, he didn't finish it off. He was a, definitely one of the top favorites. I, I, uh, I stopped by the, uh, the bookie's whiteboard, head of the finish, to see, uh, to see what the odds were and, and potentially put a little money on somebody maybe uh, ahead of that sprint. And Viviani, I think, coming into the final 10K was the, uh, the shortest odds of anybody. He seemed like he'd be the go-to guy for that sprint because he's had such a strong year didn't really work out for him in the end. And Quickstep, they dominated, and they, they came away with a second place. Viviani was, um, he was upset. He was not happy after the finish. Isn't gambling a sin, Dane? It may be, but it's also legal in Belgium. So, uh, you know. It's, it's a big part of the cycling scene here in, in, in Belgium, especially. Cycling is all about pushing those ethical lines, but staying in the legal lines. You know, we've, we've learned that recently. And uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to just go with the flow here. And uh, yeah, I think Viviani, though, expected a lot of him, actually. I, I kind of, I thought he was going to win that sprint, uh, given what he's shown so far this year. I, I think he did, too. I mean, we saw the emotional reaction from Viviani. First, when he, well, first he was boxed in on the right-hand side of the sprint. And it's just kind of where, you know, every sprint is so chaotic and different. It's just, that's where the gravitational pull, pulled people into that fence. A few guys came off the wheel, and Viviani had to wait until... Damar opened up his sprint before he could really make his surge. And he said by then, uh, Sagan had opened up his sprint on the left-hand side that was open. And by the time Viviani could open up his sprint, it, he just lost those two seconds, that 10 meters, and he, and he you know, lost by a bike length. And when he came across the line, we saw the emotional reaction. He was pounding his fist on the handlebars. And then he, you know, something we don't see very often, and we saw Viviani collapse onto the ground and curl up his knees and just really uh, begin to just burst into tears and, you know, really an emotional outburst. And I had a chance to speak to Viviani after he calmed down and took a shower at the team uh, bus at Quick Step. Let's hear what he had to say. Very emotional past few minutes for you. Talk about uh, your sensations at the, during the sprint and just at the finish line. Ah, I think, you know, when you lose one of the biggest chance to win a race, 
you have in the list of uh, your career goal is and you, you miss you miss the chance to win when you know you can win you know that is the difference because if i lose the sprint close to close and then i lose maybe you know i have no, nothing to thinking and yeah chapeau but uh, yeah like that i have the feeling i come faster so i just i'm just focus on the mar wheel because i know after 250k he do a good sprint really clear and uh, normally he do also long sprint and uh, it's difficult to follow sagan also in the in the bunch you know it's finally van mark come back from his attack and we have just a small space on the right and so the mark pass i close the eyes and i pass but i just missed this two seconds when sagan go on the left so you can do mistake with the world champion eh? mm. were you boxed in at all do you think on the in the sprint you were out of position perhaps or was it just uh, ah, it's nothing yeah. i think it's nothing to thinking about the decision i take for the sprint it's just one sprint every sprint have his own story and uh, Sagan come fast from the back he go on the left and we go on the right but we have not we have not the same speed so when you lose 10 meter i close but you just close the gap you can pass him so yeah disappointed because like i say it's a big chance to win one of the gold career race uh, miss it and for sure we come back and we come back for Wigan and Vendegen, but but today we lose from the world champion. <laughs> yeah. The emotion at the finish line just came out. Yeah, some, so I don't interesting what the people thinking. It's just a natural emotion come out because I'm really the delusion is so high because I really think I can win because the guys do a really amazing job. You see Gilbert how he pulling in front of or Eve uh, also how he pull and Stevie put me in a good position, Nikki protect me all the race. You know, it's always I say, I like to have the responsibility of the results, but I'm really disappointed when I lose and the guys do the perfect job. So yeah, nothing to thinking about, just the delusion come out. Before the sprint, you survived the Camelberg, uh, you survived the, the Black Streets. Uh, how did you pass through those? Because that was vital, being in that group. Yeah, um, I race. I'm really concent. The concentration I I have was really high gold race. I've been always in the topic moment in the front, and uh, some sometimes with the support of the team. So Nicky do a super amazing job the first time. He bring Camel Gilbert also. So um, just try to follow my team experienced teammates, and then uh, uh, I know the condition I have in this start of the season is so high. I'm really disappointed for the result for San Remo, and I really want to go back to to try to win a big race but yeah looks like i miss always something so today is just i think the story of one one sprint so potentially i can win but i don't win it's just just the choice the choice i, I take but like i say i'm really convinced of i take the right decision to follow the mar so it's just the story about this sprint so sagan you can do mistake with peter sagan so we know really well him after 250 he's he he is also fast but uh, yeah today i feel i feel faster so i just lose mm. was it matteo trentin ahead of you who, who waits waits uh, trentin yeah just wait but uh, when when they when the, the start of the sprint, we, we have Van Mark come back from his attack. Yeah, he was dropping. And uh, in that moment, to pass on the barrier, um, I lose two seconds. So yeah. it's just the space of one guy and before the Mar go, and then I go. And then when the Mar opened the door, I just can go straight to the line. But uh, like I say, Sagan in that moment, when I go, he have already 10 meters. So I just, I just can close the gap and uh, nothing to do more. So yeah, in that moment, so... I really take this decision and yep. yeah. Next for Shelby Priest? Uh, no, I race Wednesday okay. and then that is the last race of my first part of the season. So okay. yeah. One chance to make it back. Yeah, thank you. We hope so. Try to continue in this way for sure the big win come. So thanks. Thanks a lot. Right, so that was Elia Viviani talking after the finish. And yeah, he was uh, real tears, a lot of tears. And this is an Olympic champion. This is a guy who's done some big things in his career, but clearly this meant a lot to him. And I think just seeing Gilbert just really empty the tank for him and then not being able to pull through in the end to actually get that win must have been pretty frustrating. And also Viviani has, he's been close 
in some very big races before, and, and especially this year having such form coming in. I think he probably thought this was his year. And, and quick step, too, uh, especially with Gaviria out. This was a, a chance for him to kind of prove, hey, I can be that guy, too. Didn't work out for Viviani in Get Wevelgum, and he's probably not going to have any chances really for a little while now to get any other big wins. Maybe, maybe not until the Giro d'Italia. Yeah, it was surprising. He actually said he's not racing Sheldapriest uh, next week. He's going to be racing Duarez uh, day after tomorrow. Uh, you know, this was. I mean, think about the context of where Viviani is coming from. Three years on Sky, did the move across to Quick Step this year, kind of replacing Kittle. I've had some pretty good wins this this uh, year coming into uh, 2018 for Viviani. Got the big win last week. And this was kind of an Italian classic in a certain way. You know, Cipollini's won here, Paolini, uh, a lot of other Italians have won over the years. This is a race he said he's been dreaming about winning uh, since he was a young kid starting to race. And it, to me, it just showed the passion this guy has for racing, that he was so mad, he was so upset about it. For him not to win, I mean, chapeau to, to uh, Viviani to land it all out there. Yeah, he definitely, he definitely went full gas, and it seemed to be more of a positioning thing than anything else. But as we pointed out earlier, I mean, positioning's part of the sprint, and that's something that Sagan usually does very, very well. Crushed, I think, because you get the quick step guys working for you like that. I mean, imagine, like we talked about before, Peter Sagan had those guys working for him, and you want to repay them back. And we were talking about what, what the conversation might have been like at the dinner table afterwards. It would have been just a bunch of silence, right? I mean, not like the conversation we had when we ate Chinese food afterwards. Which is a vibrant, uh, yeah. very happy. Well, you were fun and you were kind of editing a video for a little bit of yeah. it, but you still managed to be social, yeah. which is impressive. And I, I can't imagine that was going no. on at the quick step table. I mean, Viviani knew he had that opportunity. He also had a little bit of that opportunity in Milano San Remo. It kind of stuffed that sprint as well. Uh, he was aiming for his seventh win uh, in, in the 2018 season in Get Wevelgem and didn't get it crush and he was so close as well I mean perhaps had he not been boxed in but we'll never know because uh, Sagan obviously was strong today yeah that was one of those situations where I think after San Remo he he wasn't really close there he kind of pulled up on the sprint Mm -hmm. after it became clear that it wasn't going to work out uh, with a race like today, when you get that close, that just makes it all all that much worse. Yeah, and in San Remo, too, we didn't see the, the Gilbert attack. Uh, I guess Gilbert was held up a bit in that crash. Uh, so Viviani had it all for him. Gaviria was back in Colombia sorting out his, his crash incident, his fracture. So it was all for Viviani there. He had his golden opportunity at it again today after he'd won that, the three days at Dupont, which is now one day. And uh, and yeah, it slipped out of his hands. And it is, I was surprised to hear from Mandy that he's not racing Skildapri because it seems like that would be his opportunity again. And maybe Lefebvre will put him on the line, but then they need to rest him up for he's racing the, the Giro d'Italia. And that was a part of his, his big reason to switch to Team Sky. And Sky let him out of his contract early so he could go to Quick Step. So this is his dream team. And, and he's had his opportunity and they, they slipped out. Yeah, I, I will say, though, that whatever the result they come away with in the end, looking ahead... Quick step, I think, had a really strong showing today. And and in terms of what do we take away from this race, I think Quick Step looked very strong. You had Gilbert, you had Stebar, and Viviani in that front group just drilling it. And, and yeah, I'm not a betting man, and uh, Dan Cash has pointed out that he is and has a problem. If you're going to continue this betting, you're going to want to do so on a Quick Step rider in indoors, uh, and you're going to want to do that in Flanders and in Roubaix, just because numbers-wise, you're going to come up a winner eventually because yeah. these guys are up there in, 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 just in the numbers. Yeah, and we didn't even mention Yves Lampard, who was also up there. He's been in the top 20 in both races, and he's he's you know one of the younger guys coming up. So they definitely have, you know, what they have is kind of a, a rider for every scenario. They have a guy who can go on the long attacks. They can have a shorter attack. They Just have a sprinter. They have <laughs> a pure sprinter. They have like a secondary sprinter. I mean, they have yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. And and not every team, not every team even has two options. And they have four or five for every one of these races. And we've seen in the past, it's been several years where Quick Step has looked strong, and they've kind of screwed it up. I mean, they they yeah. come into these races looking in form. And then it just hasn't and worked out. it happened out. last year in Get Wolfgang. Remember the, the, the Nikki Terpstra and Peter Scon standoff uh, before um, Greg, Van Ama- Greg Van Avermaet went up for the win. And, and we shouldn't be too hard on Viviani because we're talking about a three-time world champion who won. And, um, and so Viviani may have never had a chance. Maybe, but Viviani did a good race regardless. And Quick Step did a good race. All right, Gregor, we'll let you get back to work. That was Gregor Brown, who's had his finger on the pulse of the Peter Sagan narrative the last couple of days. Let's talk about some of these other riders, too. We've, we've talked Sagan and Quick Step, but there's plenty of other storylines here to follow coming out of Gent Webelgum and E3. 
We talk about uh, the teams that have been impressive. Obviously, Quicksap at the very top of that list. I think BMC has has had a pretty impressive run as well. Uh, Van Avermaet coming out of this weekend with with one podium uh, at, at E3 Harlbecka, but Jurgen Ruland's looking pretty solid, and Stefan Kung has been there as well, just putting in a lot of watts, doing really good work for that team. I, I think that's answered some of the questions about how they're going to replace Daniel Ose because people were worried. What's what's BMC going to do without that awesome lieutenant? We've we've seen Danielos maybe not quite living up to the the promise. Meanwhile, we've seen some of these younger guys on BMC really stepping up, and uh, I think that's really good news for for Greg Van Avermaet going forward. Teams that have disappointed, Andy, anybody come to mind? I, I, I kind of you know we we've, we've seen Team Sky do really well in the Cobbled Classics some of these last three or four years. I mean, Mikhail Kwiatkowski won E3 uh, not that long ago. And it seems like maybe every other year, Sky has a different rider. And uh, they, they had Johnny Moscone here. They had uh, Dylan Van Barl. They had uh, Christopher Halverson. They've had some, and, and Ian Standard, too. They've had some guys who you think might be up there. That's not a team that really was, has been a factor at all so far in the Cobble Classics. Yeah, I think it really just demonstrates how difficult it is to get results in these in these one-day races. You have teams that completely are dedicating almost their whole and ca- calendars around these races. And it's really only, I think, nine days across the calendar between March and April that are really up for grabs in the Northern Classics. So that's what makes that's what makes these races so special. And to to be able to get even a result, it really comes down to luck and to strength and just to having that tradition of racing on the team. You know, another team looking at results so far: EF Education First. Drophawk, presented by Cannondale, driven by Tesla, which is a nice addition to the team. They have really nice cars. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the <laughs> nice best cars, cars in these races. Best cars in the Peloton. Yeah, yeah. And what we saw from Van Mark, he's had no results really to speak of. I mean, he had the seventh place the other day at Harrowbecca. I mean, that was almost the best ride we've seen so far in this race because he was caught up in that crash midway through Harrowbecca. The whole team dragged him off the ground. He was six minutes back, pulled him back, and he was suddenly back in the frame of the Potterberg and finished seventh in Harrowbecca. And today... He was the strongest up to Kemmelberg in Genvelgevim, so he could be a smoky for uh, coming into Flanders. Yeah, I think that's one of those one of those cautionary tales of not reading too much into the results themselves. Because you, if you actually watch these races, you see Sepp van Marke just putting in these big attacks, and he gets a little bit of space, but then he gets reeled in, and in the final result, well, he's not going to show up there near the top. And and if if all you're doing is reading pro cycling stats, which we do spend plenty of time there, but if all you're doing is just looking at the uh, the final result, you might not see that Seth Van Marker was looking pretty strong so far in the Cobbled Classics. Uh, he was 21st to get Wevelgum, but he did a lot of work uh, on Sunday trying to trying to get clear, as he always does. And he had that final attack right before Sagan opened up a sprint. Yeah, he sort of let it out in the end. It was, it was an attempt to get clear in the final like, 2,000 meters or so. But in the end, he was basically just providing an early lead out for the sprinters to uh, to kind of latch onto as they started winding up to speed. You know, UAE Team Emirates, another team that, uh, with Alexander Kristoff, former Tour of Flanders winner, I think they were kind of hoping for a little more out of their classics campaign. And yeah, it's there's still two two huge races to go, and also Dwarves Dwarf Vlander and Skelderpreis. I, I think Kristoff, you know, I talked to him after the race, and he mentioned that. Uh, he was just a car length away from making the move on the Kemmelberg. Uh, he and actually a couple other riders, including Daniel Os. And uh, because he didn't make it, then that one car length became two and two became four. And then at the end of the race, he finishes a minute behind. But he does make a, an okay point. You know, sometimes, again, you can miss these very small gaps. And then in the, in the final results, you're nowhere near. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your form is way off. He could be pretty close. By a week from now, he could be up there. It's it's just tough to say. It. It's in other words, it's kind of hard to draw too many conclusions. I think. Yeah, I was talking to some of the sport directors uh, this morning at the buses, and they were saying what struck them so far in these early races is that one rider has not emerged to be kind of the dominant force in the Spring Classics 2018. Like we even saw last year with uh, Van Avermaet, I think won four major races. Um, in the past, we've seen guys get in a big run like a, a, like a uh, Cancellara or a Bonin. Or even we saw Degenkolb win uh, two, Christoph uh, do well as well. And so this year, we haven't seen that kind of emergence really of one dominating rider. And that says a couple of things. I think more than anything, it just says how even the Peloton is right now in terms of more teams taking the classics more seriously. The training and the preparation is more 
even across the Peloton. And it just says that the sport is just at a higher level across the across the entire classics, which it's is a, great to see. It certainly makes prognosticating a little more difficult. So as people who are previewing some of these races, this is a little bit harder. But when you're watching them uh, as a fan, it's a little bit better. So it's a trade-off uh, yeah. when, you're, when you're doing both of those things. Uh, but it, I, It's always crystal clear once the race is over. Oh, yeah. And, every, and everything is in, tw- in, uh, in hindsight. Of course, it's 2020, and especially on Twitter. You know, there's a lot of I told you so's going around, but it's pretty hard to call some of these things in advance. I think uh, you, you did point out a little earlier that um, we saw Sagan look strong today at the finish, but Gant Webblegum is not the Tour of Flanders, and uh, it, was a, it was a sprint finish. And just because he won a sprint, which was very impressive, by the way, it was a great sprint that he did, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best guy for the uh, Oda Quermont and, and, and the Paderberg. I mean, that, that could be a totally different, different thing on uh, next Sunday. Greg Van Avermaet was kind of quiet at Gant Wevelgem, for instance, but on, at E3, he looked pretty strong to me. And I don't think Gent Wevelgem, especially in great weather, ending in a sprint, is a race where he can really show his ability. So this is just kind of going back to that point of, I don't know how many conclusions you can really draw from Gent Wevelgem. Just because Peter Sagan won, that doesn't really scream to me, oh, he's in perfect form, he's going he's gonna to dominate the Tour of Flanders. He, he could. But he, he might not. I mean, he could just as easily, you know, be less of a factor uh, than he was at E3. I think it's possible. So just, just a cautioning against taking uh, too many conclusions away from these races, I, I think is, it's very important because, yeah, and there's also still a week to go. Any, anything can happen in between now and next Sunday. There's this Dwarves Drove Lantern ahead as well. So uh, another race to kind of keep an eye on. But, yeah, no, no real clear uh, singular rider. I will say that I think Quickstep has proven themselves to be the dominant team. Yeah, I think Quickstep as the team is, is the most dominant. A couple of those guys, I think, below just below the radar, you know, I think Van Avermaet's kind of hovering right there. He's, he's shown glimpses of looking very, very good. Another guy that kind of caught my eye is Oliver Nason, AG2R. He's had a, he had a solid ride both days at E3 and... Again today, already kind of pops in there to the top five, top ten, and he was a guy who was kind of hovering around last year as well. I think there's a lot of expectations that we'll see him kind of emerge, perhaps as uh, the new kind of Belgian uh, power player here in, in the classics. But I think right now the hierarchy to me is Sagan, Van Avermaet, and Joubert. I'd say right now at the top of the pinnacle of uh, there's about another half dozen guys that are, have potential to win one of these races. You could probably include Steven, Steven in that uh, group, Seb Van Mark, uh, Nason. Multiple quick step rides, I think, obviously. Yeah, Nikki the Terpstra rest, the rest coming of the away. quick step team. Yeah, <laughs> Terpstra did look extremely strong yeah. at E3 Hero. But to me, the, the only, like, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that might hold Terpstra back is simply if, if, uh, if that team decides to ride for somebody else. I mean, he does look extremely strong, but that team could, you know, one day just say, oh, you know what, we're going to ride for Philippe Gilbert today. So it's just tough to pick any one quick step rider. But Terpstra did look extremely strong at uh, E3 Hellebecker, where he, he kind of hung away from a, a very talented chase group for basically an hour and a half. I mean, you're just kind of motoring away, and uh, that gap never really closed. But that was, a, that was an impressive win by Terpstra, and he had quite some interesting things to say after the race. Um, he was just saying how sometimes you just need to be so ruthless when you decide to go for the win because there was that big crash with 100Ks to go halfway through Harabeka and everyone's like, oh, you know, why don't you stop? There's no stopping in professional cycling, especially not in a one-day race. Particularly not in the classics. Not yeah. in the classics. It's not, like a, it's not like a grand tour or a sprint stage where things have been established. You have a leader and people are respecting that jersey. And the classic, it's out the window. I mean, yeah, if, if somebody goes down, you, you keep riding. You just keep riding. It's balls to the wall. And then when he had, he talked about how he had to make the decision to leave his uh, teammate, uh, Yves Lampere, because he was, uh, you know, they were riding together. The dream scenario, of course, would be to finish together. But he quickly surmised that if I waited for him a little bit more, the chances of me making it to the finish line were greatly diminished. And of course, Quickstep still finished one-two in that race because uh, another Quickstep rider ends up sprinting to second place, uh, Philippe Gilbert in, in the in the E3 sprint. So they do it anyway. They finish one-two anyway, which is uh, it just goes to show you how strong. So they many are. cards to play. Yeah, uh, some other guys that impressed me. I think Waffen Eric. We got to mention Waffen Eric. Oh, I mean, he's he's just this been on form for basically the whole classic season and the cyclocross at least the second half of the cyclocross season and it's been sort of a let's see what happens approach for Wood Van Aert in the classics I don't think he really 
there's no pressure for Wood Van Aert going into the classics. Nobody nobody expects him to be up here, and it's not like people are going to be criticizing him for not being up here. And he still comes out, and he was uh, third at Strada Bianca, obviously, but he was tenth again Wevelgem, and just up there in that main group, and and you know in the mix at least in that finishing sprint ahead of uh, Sasha Modolo, who's a very fast sprinter. So. Obviously, Wood Van Aert, I think, is going to be pretty happy so far with his performances in the Cobbled Classics and still has some uh, some races to go. So the sky seems to be the limit. He's only 23 years old, and uh, these are kind of his first real appearances you know, in these big, big races. So I, I, I'm pretty excited to see what Wood Van Aert has in this future. Yeah, I mean, I think he is one of the most exciting riders to come out of the Belgian scene, really. In, in several years, we talked earlier about... Tish Benut kind of had that breakout ride at Flanders a few years ago. And even going back further, you know, when Bonin had that big ride back in, I think it was the 2002 Roubaix. Uh, you know, maybe not quite on that par of performance, but man, I mean, third at Strada Bianca, 10th today. The fact that he's uh, the world champion uh, uh, cyclocross, he's going to have to make a decision. You know, how much longer is he going to milk the cyclocross? Because those guys are making a lot of money they at, do. at that level. They make they, a they, fair they, bit of dough. They make very yeah, good money. Yeah. But, you know, is he going to be one of these guys who just races his whole career uh, at cyclocross? Or is he going to make that transition and dedicate himself to the road? We saw guys like Stebar, uh, Lars Bohm have had very successful uh, road careers. I think uh, really seeing the, the potential here is unlimited for this guy. Yeah, if you're a pure cross fan, if you're somebody who doesn't really care too much about road racing, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to be all that happy with the way he's been riding because it's real, I think it's going to be uh, calling to Wood Van Aert. Now that he's had these great results, the road is saying, hey, you, you do pretty well. Please, please come join us more. Ride some more road races. And I think he's, it's going to be hard to kind of turn down that, uh, that opportunity considering how well he's been riding in, in the early returns. You know, a guy that I think is going to fly way under the radar, but at least deserves mention half because of how well he's done and, and half because of the, of the rest of that team. Christophe Laporte, a uh, French sprinter, was uh, kind of leading Kofidis at the last minute at Milano San Remo because Nasser Buhani was uh, suffering from bronchitis. He was finished, uh, he finished fourth day at Kent Wevelgem. And uh, that's a team that, well, in the last, I don't know, maybe 12 months or so, there's there's been some some talk of rift with uh, with Nasser Buhani. I mean, we we know he's a bit of a tough guy to manage, and he's never really done any favors for himself, uh, sprinting in a bit of a pugnacious way. But they seem to have found a potential, you know, I don't want to say replacement, but certainly another option for those sprints in Christophe Laborde, who was up there mixing it up today with the rest of the big classics names. Finished fourth just behind Arno Demar, a guy who has won Milano San Remo. So that's a nice find for uh, Kofi. It's just 25 years old, Laporte. Uh, maybe a guy to continue watching for these kinds of finishes. Uh, pretty speedy finisher. Uh, maybe on the other end of that spectrum, Michael Matthews was in the front group today, and uh, I was expecting him to do really well in this finish. Obviously, he's got a great finishing kick, and it's not a pure sprint. That's, that's pure Michael Matthews territory. Guy finished 13th. And uh, he was pretty frustrated. He's coming off of a shoulder injury. Uh, I, I chatted with him after the finish. And, you know, Michael Matthews is, is kind of long-term thinking about being a, a Flanders-type racer. It's something he wants to build into. He did say that he learned a lot at E3 and get Wevelgum this year, but that uh, he wasn't really, you know, feeling up to uh, contending. And even said that uh, towards the end of today, he was actually trying to kind of slow things up on the front group for, for Edward Toons in the second because he just knew he didn't have it. So that's actually kind of impressive self-awareness from a sprinter. Sprinters, I think, are maybe the least likely riders to, uh, to call off their own chances. And uh, he, he managed to do that. That was actually kind of impressive, even though the uh, results not so impressive for Michael Matthews. Uh, anybody else catch your eye up on the top, top 20 from uh, Get Wevelgum uh, or, or E3 for that matter? Yeah, I mean, there's always a there's always a f- few names that kind of just pop out. Uh, Demar was there today. I think uh, he kind of botched his sprint a little bit. I think people were expecting. Well, the team rode today you know, very well to support Demar all the way through Gant Velgovim. He just couldn't quite finish off that sprint. He's a guy. He's a guy. Well, it's interesting to see what he has, what he can do. I don't know if he's going to be racing at uh, at Robay. I mean, he's kind of a Robay potential. I mean, he's a guy who big motor, big guy can get over the cobbles. And he'll race at Childeprix and then uh, give it a stab at Roubaix. You know, it's been a while since a, a Frenchman's won. But, you know, it's a French race. We always talk about these races, uh, Flanders, Flanders Week. 
Sometimes you just forget that, that the Perry Roubaix is actually held in France. Yeah, the queen of the classics, they say, is held in France, and it's a pretty popular race. So that's definitely a guy. He's he's had some struggles at Roubaix in the past, just crashes and flats and stuff like that. But you will, yeah, you you brought up something that I think is pretty. It's worth mentioning. A Groupama FDJs. It's not a team that we give props to a lot. They're not really a team with a bunch of different. They have they got Thibaut Pinot and Arda Debar are the two guys that we we generally talk about on that team, and uh, I, they had a really nice team effort today. It was them and Quickstep, I think, who were doing most of the work trying to keep the race, well, under control at first. And then once the big split on the Kemmelberg happened, they were putting uh, guys to work to get DeMar uh, well-positioned for that sprint. So third place, it's not a win, but uh, it's a nice nice finish for, for Groupama FDJ uh, on territory where, let's be honest, the French have not had that much success in the last couple of years on, on the cobbles. Yeah, I mean, DeMar got the third at uh, San Remo as well. Uh, very quality rider there, of course. Last year got the stage win at the Tour. Uh, I think another big factor, just looking ahead over the next couple of days, we're expecting a big turn in the weather on by Tuesday. Uh, front's supposed to blow in. It's supposed to get quite sloppy for Duars on Wednesday and likely rain going into uh, Flanders on Sunday next week. I don't think it's going to be like a hurricane-type scenario, but I think it's supposed to be some showers cooler temperatures, maybe some wind, and that'll add a whole nother element to all these races. I think we saw uh, against raced uh, fairly, you know, almost optimal racing conditions. Really, it wasn't very windy. Where That's usually a factor, again, Vogelbaum. And uh, not too bad of conditions uh, at, on Friday at Harrowbecker. When the race gets sloppy, the conditions get more extreme. That's where you see just the hard guys really come to the fore. That's where you see the Van Avermaets and these Belgians, I think, they just they just seem to swim in that stuff. Yeah, another another good reason to maybe not draw too many conclusions. As as boring and conservative as that sounds, it is important to point out that again, Wevelgem weather it was sunny. It was kind of nice out there. And compare that to years past. I mean, I was last here in 2015. Riders were literally being blown off the road in that race, and that makes obviously a big difference. I mean, that, that's a totally different race, and that's one of the reasons I think today finished in a sprint. So looking ahead, we, yeah, we could have some uh, rainy weather. That's going to change things up. Uh, you mentioned Dwarstor Vlender, and that's the next big World Tour Classic coming up. That's on Wednesday. It could be a rainy race. Uh, the profile to me, look, look at another one of those classic uh, cobbled races where you can't really quite say, oh, it's going to be a reduced sprint or an attack. Uh, certainly good opportunities for most of the, the big names that will be there. Uh, I, I know some of the guys are going to be trying to use that race to kind of make their final tweaks in form. Alexander Kristoff mentioned this. He's one of those guys, I think. Final tweaks in form before uh, Flanders, which is now less than a week away. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Joubert after the stage today, after the race today, and he's actually going back to Monaco. He's flying, I think he's probably home by now by the time we're doing this. He's got a flight Sunday evening out of Belgium back to Monaco. He said he wanted to rest and to kind of recover, spend some time with his family, but mainly just kind of recover. I think he's been taking some huge pulls. So he's skipping Duars, but I think we'll see most of the big names lining up for that race. Because since they moved that race on the calendar, it's definitely attracting a better field. But we might see a few names kind of step out of it because it's going to be a hard race on Wednesday, harder than, than the old uh, Three Days of Dupont circuit used to be between uh, Velgovam and uh, in Flanders. Good race. Another just uh, a reason to get in those VIP tents and throw back some uh, Jupilers. Yeah, uh, as if you needed any other reasons to do that. But before we go, we, we might as well mention that uh, two riders set to be racing Javar's Door of Lander, who you might not expect to be there. Another good reason to watch this race is to see Nairo Quintana and Alejandro Valverde bouncing around on those cobblestones. I think Valverde is... I mean, I don't want to say he's among the top favorites, but he's got a chance. I mean, he's got a chance in literally every race he lines up for. He'll be there, as will Nairo Quintana, trying to get some cobbles experience in before the Tour de France this year. That's been a, a re- recurring theme. Chris Froome was up here getting some recon. Uh, Mikel Landa rode E3 the other day and actually finished the race, by the way, which is something that's uh, pretty impressive. Roman Bardet, another GC contender, going to be at uh, Duarte of Lennon. So a number of potential Tour de France riders going to be in there mixing it up with the likes of, well, yeah, your Sepp Van Marcus and your Greg Van Avermaet, the, the guys that you expect to see here. So do keep an eye out for pint-sized Nairo Quintana uh, weaving through the peloton on the cobblestones at Duarte of Lennon. That's for this week's episode of the Villain News Podcast, brought to us by our friends at Health IQ. Health IQ is the innovative life insurance company that works with healthy folks, cyclists, runners, swimmers, triathletes, people who get after it. 
That's right, Fred. All they have to do is go to healthiq.com slash velonews, get a free quote on life insurance, and it's going to be a good quote because we know you're healthy and we know that you like to get out there and ride a lot like we do. All right, enough with us. Let's get back to the Gantt Webelium takes. All right, Andy, before we close out here, let's do a little off the front, off the back. Uh, we've we've had enough racing, I think, the last couple of days for for plenty of uh, analysis, plenty of uh, riders that we can kind of pinpoint as having good and, and bad weekends. I'll, I'll kick it off with the off the front. I'm liking Quick Step last couple of days, even if they didn't win at uh, at uh, Gen Wevelgem. That the team power and, and the the fact that they've just been drilling it on the front, kind of whenever they wanted, both of those races uh, really looking strong here. I, I mean, we've been talking about Tom Bonin and this team kind of in the post Bonin era, but I think. They've been doing quite fine, and especially even when Bono was here. Uh, Terpstra was the last guy, even when Bono was around to win a monument, and then uh, Gilbert coming in, following that up. And they've looked just as strong, I think, as a team this year as they did last year. Flanders and Roubaix, I think, is really what it comes down to in terms of the, those results. But they're certainly looking off the front coming out of the Get Welcome E3 weekend. Off the back, hmm, man, I'm going to go with uh, Alexander Kristoff, who was quite literally off the back. At Gent Wevelgum, it wasn't by much, though. I think there is a, a chance for him to be back on form by Flanders. He has time, but he needs to make some changes in between now and next Sunday before uh, for the big one. I'm going to go off the front and off the back almost in the, in the span of a few days with Peter Sagan uh, slagging off the back a little bit at uh, the Harrowbecker race, coming back into the four just in time to win. Great victory at, at Wevelgum. You know, when you look at when Sagan won uh, Flanders a couple of years ago, he won Gant Vogelman that same year on the same run. Didn't have a great Harrowbecker. So I'd say Sagan is, is surging, has the momentum coming forward. We'll see if it, if it delivers in the longer, more punishing races at Flanders and Roubaix. But I think anytime you get Sagan into the frame, he's off the front. Off the back, got to say John Degenkolb just continues to struggle. Guys had bad luck, illnesses. Uh, going back to that crash, he, terrible crash he had two years, just hasn't rediscovered his mojo. We all love Degan Colby. He's a great rider, classy guy. Let's hope he can get back on the front from getting off the back right now where he is. Hope you enjoyed the show. We have uh, plenty more coming from Ghent, coming from Belgium generally, and, and France, of course, with Roubaix coming up as well. We'll have more podcasts ahead of the Tour of Flanders, ahead of Perry roubaix We'll have plenty more interviews, analysis from the ground here in Belgium. Keep your eyes peeled for more Vel News podcasts. I'm Dane Cash here with Andy Hood, and we will see you soon. 